0: When our leadership first talked about how we were going to address the fires four years ago and help people and walk with people, we determined that this was not going to be months but years. We had talked to some other churches who dealt with similar kinds of devastation in other parts of our state and country. And so we were very intentional and said this could last years. And I want to just say thank you to all of you who have volunteered in that way. You've walked with these folks. We still are walking with people who are navigating what it means to get back to where they were before uh, the fires. And thank you to those of you who are so generous, even four years ago. The funds you provided in our uh, fire relief uh, fund was were actually able to help us continue to administer to these families. Even to this day, and so thank you. What a what a blessing. I also mentioned to you uh, several year, several weeks ago, and we've mentioned off and on in different services about the families that we were concerned about that were in a persecuted area, partners of ours that were nationals in those country in that country, and that we couldn't really share much because they were fleeing. Uh, they'd had secret police and others, and and just all kinds of stuff going on, and we didn't want to jeopardize talking about them publicly. But I uh, told you that we had uh, uh, one individual came across, a partner in that ministry, and then the family with, uh, with Sergey and Katja and Christina and Ilya, and we introduced them last week in the 11. But Thursday, the second partner and uh, family was able to cross and come into the United States with a status that allows them to stay here to apply for asylum, all legally and all, and and we're gonna be walking this with them, so there's gonna be challenges in terms of getting them some long-term housing and car situation, that kind of stuff, but the second family cross and are safe and with us, and I wanna introduce them to you, and we've been supporting them in their ministry in Lipitz, and uh, they are from, I have been talked about it a lot publicly, but these folks are from Russia, and uh, the Russian government, even before the invasion, was making it very hard on people to serve Jesus in their country and kind of crush the life out of any opportunity to have church, and to minister in Jesus' name. And then with the invasion, and then the mobilization of men, and even with the background, uh, some security stuff that had gone on years ago, uh, these, family, these two couples particularly needed to flee. And so I want to introduce the second family that's with us now, Alexi Alexi, and Alia, and their son Timothy, if you'll just stand. And uh, there's a picture of them right here behind me. And we just want to welcome you and thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, You may be seated. And we'll be sharing their story as they just get a chance to settle in. They've literally been here a few days and uh, had to go through the process of coming into the country. And uh, God provided, as I mentioned last week, a wonderful avenue we didn't know existed. And uh, a very small little way in which certain people can come in, and that was just a, a blessing of God. Thank you for praying. We saw answered prayer in that. And while we as Americans could say, oh, you're safe, now you're here, remember they had to say goodbye to their families. They had to say goodbye to their homes. And so this is just really the beginning for them in the journey, and we want to walk it with them and love them through it. Uh, they, both families have a desire to see Mr. Putin leave in, in an environment there where they could one day go back and again, reach their people for Jesus. And so we love them and ask you to continue to pray for them. Would you just join me in an unusual thing today that I don't normally do, and just put your hands out in front of you as if you're expecting to receive something, and then just look up, and um, we know that we all who have Jesus have the Holy Spirit in us. He is always present with us. But we want to invite him to do a work in us that is fresh and new and move us and shape us And we're going to be talking about that over the next three weeks, how the Spirit of God works in the one body, the body of Christ. And I want us just to talk to the Lord, and you can just in your own heart repeat after me this prayer of expectancy to the Lord, just follow along in your own heart. Lord, thank you for this day, and Lord, the last week there have been ups and downs in my life, and Lord, you know the noise and the frustrations Lord, you know the blessings and the excitement. And Father, right now in this time, as I hear your word, may your spirit teach me. I'm ready to receive from him. And Father, do a work in me. Where I need to be convicted, convict me where I need to be comforted, comfort me. May your truth pierce my heart and may your grace fill my soul. Come Holy Spirit, work in me. Amen, amen. I have a tool right here. Some of you might identify it right away. This is a pneumatic wrench. This is the first time I've ever held one and probably the last time you'll ever see me holding one of these things. This is actually my brother's. He has all kinds of cool tools and it takes up half his garage, all the tools he has. All the tools I own take up a shoebox for slippers. Um, and so this is a very unfamiliar thing for me to be up here, but I, but I do know this is called a pneumatic tool and I know where the word comes from. It's the Greek word pneuma, which is the word that is used for the Holy Spirit, the holy pneuma. In Greek it is breath, air, spirit. And you know, a pneumatic tool like this, this device itself never plugs into electricity. Now there's a compressor that compresses air and forces it through a tube, and when this is connected to that tube, this pneumatic tool works, it moves. Now most of you are familiar with this and most of you have heard the sound it makes. For some of you, that's a comforting sound because you like using these kinds of tools. For most of us, we hear them every couple of years at Big Brand Tire as we're waiting for our car to be taken care of and the new tires to be put on, right? But this pneumatic tool, without that compressed air, without the pneuma, it's just a tool. And if I set it here, it has no impact or effect. Even if I get down near a tire ready to take the lug nuts off, and it's not plugged into the source, the pneuma, it's not gonna work, And many Christians today find themselves like this this tool. They're they're, they're there, they're a follower of Jesus, but they are not allowing the Spirit of God to use them and move through them and mold them and shape them for his glory. And if we're not plugged into the source, yielded to the Spirit for him to do a work in us and through us, We miss out on a great blessing and we miss out on the fulfillment of what God wants for us as his people. Today we're going to begin a a series on two chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapters 12 and 13. We're going to be talking about one body over the next three weeks. I'm going to be preaching these three messages about one body. This week, the first half of 1 Corinthians 12, we'll talk about unity in that one body, unity in the spirit. Next week, we'll talk about diversity in the spirit. And then the following week, we'll look at maturity in the spirit. We look at 1 Corinthians 13. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, which had not a religious background in terms of like Judaism, uh, but in terms of paganism, that was the culture. It was a very wealthy culture. There was a lot of immorality in the culture. And when when folks came to Jesus and they became a part of the Corinthian church, unfortunately, some of those practices came in. So he addresses in his letter to them in the first century, Paul writes and talks to them about the immorality, the heresy. He talks about the disunity. He talks about the arrogance and selfishness. And in In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, he's trying to say to them, you are one in the Lord, and you are one body. Now, when we talk about the body of Christ, we're talking about believers. Of course, Christ is the head of the body. And then we are, as we'll see next week, the various parts of the body. We all have different functions in the one body, many parts. And the Holy Spirit is what brings the life the breath into this body as a matter of fact the word body trying to help us understand this illustration or or this expression occurs 17 times in first corinthians 12 so that we will get this understanding how we're a part of this one body we are united together so we're going to be looking at first corinthians 12 1 through 11 if you want to open there in your bibles of course you can go to a bible app and join me there And as we look at this passage, I want us to understand that our unity is not based on our shared connection with the God who lives in our world. Our unity as followers of Christ is not based on our shared connection with the God who is in our world or our universe. Our unity is based on our shared connection with the God who lives in our hearts, We know there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. Three personalities in one God. The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior said he would be sending the Spirit who came on the day of Pentecost to be the comforter in our hearts, to to be the one who would be with us, the presence of God. And the Scriptures teach that every person who knows Christ as Savior, they are given God's forgiveness, they get to walk with God in this life, they have eternal life forever, and they have the Holy Spirit in them from the moment they receive Jesus to the moment they're in the presence of the Lord. And sometimes we have this idea that we gather here together and there's a God out there that unites us, when in reality it's the God in here that unites us. And so as I look at you, if you know Christ and you think of the person down the row from you or five rows back from you, there is a unity we have, not because of the God who's out there, but the God who is in us, the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Someone has said, believers are never commanded to become one, we're already one and are expected to act like it. We are one in Christ. We have the same Spirit. We have the same Savior. We have the same Father who planned this this grand plan of redemption before the foundations of the earth. So I want us to talk about that unity and what does the Holy Spirit have to do with the unity we share as the local expression of the body of Christ right here at Calvary Community Church. You see, it is through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that we can do three things described in the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 12. The first one is this, lift up Jesus. Let me say it again. It is through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that we can lift up Jesus. Look at verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. I want to pause right there. The word gifts is supplied because of the context translators from the original Greek insert the word gifts. Now I think it belongs in this passage and it will come up later. There's nothing wrong with putting it here. But it does cause us to miss one emphasis in this opening verse. It literally reads now about the matters of the Spirit. This is not just about spiritual gifts. You see, they had division and arrogance, and there was, there was a, a point at which the church had become ineffective in Corinth, and he says, I want you to think about spiritual matters, things that flow from the Spirit of God who is in you. And it will address gifts, but it's broader than that even. Now about the matters of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray astray by mute idols." I like that phrase, led astray. That word in the original has the idea of one nation conquering a nation, and they take captive prisoners, and they lead them away from their city and out of their nation, and they have no idea where they're being led to. They don't know if they're being led to slaughter. They don't know if they're being led to be servants in people's households. They're going to be, uh, they're going to be imprisoned. They're being led astray. They're being led off to an unknown destination. And before we come to Christ, we're we're on that broad path Jesus talked about that leads to an end that that most people don't realize is that end of destruction. And he mentions idols there. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, no one who has the Spirit of God in them will say, Jesus, be cursed. There were a lot of demons that were active in Corinth. It was a very pagan culture. And so there were people who were claiming to be followers of Christ, who then were cursing Christ. And he's saying, look, that's not of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is, exalts jesus points to jesus doesn't curse jesus and no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit now this say this jesus no one could say it's not just that they flippantly say it it's the idea that they clearly declare and make jesus lord of their lives it's the holy spirit that makes that that capacity and ability for us even to lift up jesus In and of ourselves, we can't even do that, but the Spirit of God in us infuses us to worship and to praise and to to make Jesus the Lord and to have that preeminent place in our lives. So what does this mean for us then? If we say it is through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that we can lift up Jesus, two things become true. Number one, when this happens, as the Spirit lifts up Jesus through us, it frees us from the idols of our past, it frees us from the idols of our past. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of idols, I think of the ancient world. I think of the Old Testament Baal. Usually an idol is made of wood or stone and it's shaped like an animal or some uh, creature of fantasy or a half-human, half-animal pers- being and people bow down to this wooden or stone statue. and that, Or we think of maybe in remote, uncivilized parts of the world, they still may have idols, but when we think about America today. We say there are no idols. As a matter of fact, maybe you like me, your education on idols outside of the Bible was from a very unique source. It was, the source was the Brady Bunch for me. Remember when they went to Hawaii? The three-part episode? They're in Hawaii and uh, the boys are in the cave. They come across the tiki god. And you remember what happens when they bring the tiki god home and Greg is wearing it when he's surfing and he wipes out. And then uh, and then Peter is wearing it a bed. You remember the giant spider that crawled up onto Peter? And um, it became such a phenomenon, kind of a cottage industry started where you could buy tiki gods for 1999 in the 70s in uh, Hawaii. But you know what our, our culture does with idols is we think that's that's out of touch, that's, that's ancient primitive cultures, and so even that episode was about the superstitions surrounding it and And yet we think there are no idols for us as Americans. Let me just say, if you discover that you struggle with idols today, um, I would encourage you or you just wrestle with this idea there could be idols in our lives in the modern world or the American culture. There's a great resource, Timothy Keller's Counterfeit Gods, in there, Keller says some things about idols that I think we need to understand because we're to f- be freed from these things and not let them creep back into preeminence in our lives. Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give, to, you, seek to give you what only God can give you, anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is anything that gives you what only God can give you, or you expect it to give you what only God can give you. Keller goes on to say the human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. When a good thing becomes the ultimate thing, you have an idol that has crept onto onto the throne of your life. Our hearts deify them at the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain them. Our marriage can become an idol. Our country can become an idol. A political ideal or or movement can become an idol. Uh, Our career, a new job position, our stuff, a car, a boat, a possession, can become an idol. Even the Bible can become an idol if we lift the written word above the living word, Jesus. Even the church can become an idol where we expect it to give us what only God can give us. And when you're in that place where you put something that is good in the ultimate place of your life and you expect it to give you what only God can give you, you're gonna end up bitter and frustrated and discouraged and defeated. It's so important that we allow and we say to the Spirit of God, Spirit, move me. Help me to lift up Jesus and make him the preeminent one and the preeminent thing, have that preeminent place in my life that he deserves as Lord. It frees us from the idols of our past. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and there's something good that has become the ultimate thing in your life. You need to say, Spirit of God, help me take that idol down. Help me to put Jesus as Lord of my life again. Secondly, not only does it free us from the idols of our past, but when we lift up Jesus through the Holy Spirit, this focuses us it focuses others, I should say, on the Lord of our lives. It focuses us, but then people begin to notice as we lift up Jesus that he indeed is genuine. It's not just words. He genuinely is the Lord of our lives. Now this isn't, you know, tomorrow you go to work and say, hi, Jesus is Lord of my life. Good morning, Jesus is Lord of my life. You know, you're checking out the store and you say to the lady, oh, by the way, Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm talking about when the Spirit of God has control of you and is moving you and you're plugged into the source that can do stuff that you could never do. It will be obvious that you have made Jesus Lord of your life by the priorities they see, by the Christ-like character that comes out in your life. You see, we often think that it's wrong to say the Holy Spirit points to Jesus or that the Father exalts Jesus. In the heart and mind of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are co-equal in essence and being, but they have different functions and roles in our redemptive, redemptive plan they laid out for us, and it is their plan. And so th- we read in Philippians 2 that the Father has given Jesus the name that is above every name. And Jesus himself, when he was talking about the Comforter would come, he said, say, fellas, as you spread out, I can't go everywhere. But in that upper room before he was crucified, that night before, he wanted him to know, I'm gonna be leaving you, but I'm gonna be sending you a comforter who will not just be outside of you walking and talking with you. He will be inside of you, molding you, shaping you, and moving you to do incredible things. Even in John 15, 26, there in the upper room, we read, He will testify of me, Jesus said. John 16, 14, He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Why are the Father and the Holy Spirit so focused on the Son? Because He was the one who came and lived in human flesh and demonstrated to us what it would look like to live the way God originally intended for us to live, free of sin. And he's the one who went to the cross, was crucified there, was buried, and then was raised so we could have forgiveness, new life. And when we receive that grace of God found in Jesus Christ, we receive then the Holy Spirit who then can make all of this possible. You can't even begin to lift up Jesus as Lord of your life until you've received him as Savior of your life. Oh, do that today if you haven't. Put your faith in Jesus where you sit. Say okay, I, 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 I am a sinner God, I know it, I see it. I can't make myself clean enough for you, but Jesus did it all so I could have a relationship with you. I trust Jesus. In that moment, he'll forgive you, give you eternal life, start a journey even here on earth with you, and he'll give you his Holy Spirit to be with you now and forever. If I can help you, I'll be in the lobby afterwards. We can have a conversation about that. You can come down. We have our prayer and care team members who come down after every service to pray with people in need. They're always here for any need, but they could talk to you about receiving Jesus. Or you could text the number below me on the screen and Use that as the number you text, but put Jesus in the content of the message and we'll follow up with you some, with some resources. Someone will reach out to you on our team so we can answer questions make sure you know that you've received Jesus as your Savior. Then the Holy Spirit in you can lift up Jesus as Lord of your life. It is through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that we can lift up Jesus, which frees us from the idols of our past and focuses others on the Lord of our lives. Secondly... It is through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that we can minister to others. We cannot, in this condition, not relying on the Holy Spirit, not plugged into him. You know, when that that compressed air, that pneuma, comes into this tool, this tool can do things that no other tool can do with another power source. Power tools are powerful because of the pneuma. And God's people are able to do great ministry. When they are relying on the Holy Spirit, not themselves or others, for their strength and their power and the change and transformation the Holy Spirit brings in my heart and my life in every aspect of who I am can only happen when I am yielded and connected and open and receptive to the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Minister to others. Look at verses four through six. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Are you getting the message here? God works in a lot of different ways and in different lives and different people. We'll see next week, we're all members, different members of one body. But we're united by the same God and by the indwelling Spirit of God given to us as the seal of our relationship with the Lord. Only through the Holy Spirit can we minister truly to each other. See, there are different gifts for serving but the same Spirit. We'll read about those gifts. Some of them are sign gifts to indicate this is truly the work of God. Some of them are supernatural gifts to demonstrate the power of God. Some of them are serving gifts to to demonstrate the, the heart and compassion and love of God. There are different gifts for serving, but the same Spirit is the one who gives them. And we talk about spiritual gifts, and we'll get into this more in the coming weeks, but we talk about spiritual gifts. We're talking about abilities God gives us the moment we are born into his family and receive Christ. That spirit of God comes in, and he births in us some new abilities and gifts. Sometimes they parallel the natural abilities we're born with. Sometimes they parallel the experiences and passions of our lives, but God takes the way he's wired us and shaped us and he wants us to be of ministry to others inside the family of God and in the world around us. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. This is a command to use your gifting. And some of you remember a day before you moved to Southern California in another church somewhere, or maybe it was you were in Northern California you moved down here and you became a part of Calvary. There was a day when you were serving in the church. You were in the overflow of your serving in ministries, serving your neighbors and others. And now you've allowed yourself to get to this point where you're missing the source. You have him. You just need to yield to him and let him use you again. Some of you maybe here at Calvary, we're very active in serving and serving in ministry and, and plugged in, doing stuff. And this has been a season for you. And there are times we need to take a break to rejuvenate. But I find people stay in that space far too long. Some people don't go into it early enough and some of them stay there too long. Maybe that's you and you say, I need to be engaged in using the gifts God has given me. They're different Gifts for serving, but the same spirit. We need to use them. Different avenues of serving, but the same Lord. Different avenues of serving, but the, the same Lord. Some people serve up on a platform like this. Some people are serving behind the scenes. Some people serve with children. Some people serve with the senior saints. Some people do things with their hands. Some th- people do things with their voice. Some people do ministries here at Calvary on the weekends. Some during, during the weekday or the, the evenings during the week. Some are teaching, some are hosting, some are preparing, some are serving. There are all kinds of different avenues of service. And if you think there isn't a place for you to serve here at Calvary, then you haven't really leaned in enough to find out the opportunities God has for you here to use your gifts, your spiritual gifts, and your natural abilities. This weekend across the country, There is an emphasis on Orphan Sunday in many churches. There's an emphasis on what's called Stand Sunday where you stand with vulnerable children in the foster care system or children in need of adoption. Let me say right away, thank you to those of you who have worked in or taken foster children into your home or you've been a part of organizations and ministries that come alongside foster parents and families to help them. Thank you very much for caring for those vulnerable kids. Thank you to those of you who have opened your home to the point you've adopted children into your home, and God bless you. I think there's a front row in heaven for those of you who've gone beyond and welcomed children into your home. This concept of Stand Sunday is almost 20 years old. It was started uh, by Bishop Aaron Blake in Brownwood, Texas in 2004. It looked at the vulnerable kids and the outcomes of the foster care system with all its good intentions and said, maybe the church needs to stand up for these vulnerable kids. This video gives you a hint of what was birthed in 2004 in that town in Texas.
1: There are 30,000 children that are in the foster care system today in the state of Texas. There are half a million children that are in the U.S. that's in the foster care system. And I said, who would stand with me today for these kids? That day, Nedra Wade, she stood and raised her hand and she said, Pastor, I will. And then another person stood and said, I will. And another stood and said, I will. And another stood and said, I will. Well, after the process started in our church and family after family, within three months, 39 children were placed in families in our church. What if there was more families waiting for children than children waiting for families? So we called Child Protective Services. And they said, if that happens in any county, that will be the first ever.
0: I'm not going to ask you to stand today, maybe we do this a year or two, I'll, I'll be bold enough to say stand, but the way you can stand today if you have an interest in adoption or taking in a foster child and, and maybe even getting some input how you can do that to help that vulnerable life and even speak into the life in, in Jesus' name, we've got resources Even if you want to mentor, you want to help provide resources, come alongside like a partner like James Storehouse that provides items and needs for foster families. Uh, You can go in our lobby. The way you can stand today is this is one avenue of service. I, I mentioned there are different avenues of service. This is one way you can serve. It's the same Lord, but it's a different avenue And there are partners that are in the lobby dealing with foster families and adoptive families and ministries that support those those homes. And uh, our outreach director, Rachel Fitzpatrick, is out there, and she can help you. Lisa Sisla, who works with this as well for us, is out there. You can speak to them. But that's a way you can stand, but that's an avenue of ministry. And you might be saying, I don't know how I can do this. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be effective in Jesus' name and ministering to others in these different avenues of service. Thirdly, there is a different outcome. Let me say one other thing. In L.A. County, there are 33,000 foster kids on any given day in the foster care system. In Ventura County, there are 1,000 foster kids in the system on any given day. And it's interesting, we're right here in L.A. County, but just yards away from us is Ventura County. So Calvary is uniquely positioned to minister to both counties and to help bring hope into that setting. And so again, you can take that stand by... Seeing the partners that are there in the lobby. Thirdly, there were different outcomes in serving, but the same God. There were different outcomes. I, I when i early in my ministry, I would preach a message, and sometimes I have points that I know I'm going to spend a little more time on, and a point I'm just going to pass through because maybe I talked about that months ago. And, and early on in my ministry, I, I would get frustrated and discouraged when people would come out, and I wanted point three to be, be the main big point that people really we settled in on and spent some time on. And people would come out and say, "Oh, pastor." When you said this, and it's point one, sub-point two, sub-point three, that, the Lord spoke to me, and it changed my life. And i want to say, no, 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 no. That's not where it's supposed to happen. It's over here. That's where God wanted you to be impacted. That's where the outcome was supposed to be. But you know what I've learned as I've aged? The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and communicates to all the needs of the people in the room as i exercise the spiritual gift of teaching and and he takes that there are different outcomes but again notice there are different outcomes but now it says the same god See what he's trying to say to us is in our different gifting and our different abilities of the ways we serve, the gifts we use, the avenues we serve, the different outcomes that come, it's all about him, not about us. In the Corinthian church had got to the point where they were jealous of other people's gifts. They were demonstrating their gifts to be arrogant toward one another. And he says, you're missing the whole point. I remember when I learned about outcomes in ministry, I was in Bible college assigned to go to a a nursing home every Thursday, my freshman year afternoon around one Thursday, Thursday afternoon one thirty, I'd get in a van, we'd go to uh, a little nursing home, a Heartland Nursing Home right by us, and uh, about five or six of us as students, and we'd gather some of the residents, and we'd have a little worship service and sing hymns, and somebody would teach for five or ten minutes, and then we'd take an hour to just go visit residents who would have a visit and pray with them and just sit and talk with them, and uh, I did that a few weeks and. I started thinking this is not very effective and I could write a paper, I could read books, I could do more effective things, because I mean we get these seven or eight into the room, the chapel with the hymnals, and they kind of mouse some of the words, and but when I taught the couple of times for five to seven minutes, you know, seven out of eight of them were sleeping, even snoring, and and that really prepared me for my experience here at Calvary on Sunday mornings. <laughs> But you know, I I got this attitude like I'm not getting out of this what I want to get out of this and I'm really not making an impact or getting the outcome in other people's lives. And I remember going after wrestling with the Lord with that and going and and getting to the nursing home and going through the service and then I went to a woman's room I hadn't met and she was sitting in a rocking chair next to her bed and she introduced herself, told me she was Nancy. She had this beautiful Richmond, Virginia, uh, Southern Belle kind of accent and she told me she was 100 years old. And each week, then I, I would pour out my heart in, in the main uh, little chapel service we had. And then I'd go sit with Nancy. And if she were here, she would probably tell you it's been years. She's with the, been with the Lord for 30, 35 years. But she would tell you probably that I blessed her. But I'll tell you what, she blessed me. I came away refreshed. And if I had an attitude, oh, I don't have time for this, and I just got to spend 10 or 15 minutes with Nancy, I was blessed. And see, when we, we think that we know better than the Holy Spirit or what we should be doing or what the outcome will be, we end up like this without the pneuma con- connection and, and we don't have the life, we don't have the breath of God moving in us and then we think it's about what we get out of it or what we should give them out of it when God says, you be a blessing to somebody else and let me do the blessing of them and the blessing of you. You do what I'm moving you to do and let me control the outcomes, Sean. And can I just say that if you've become neutral and become a spectator or a consumer of church rather than engaged and a contributor in the ministry and life of the church, ministering to others, you are missing a blessing that God wants you to experience and will only come as you say, come, Holy Spirit, use me. Thirdly, in, in this passage... It is through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that we can, yes, lift up Jesus, minister to others, and thirdly, build up the body. We're supposed to be building up one another in the Lord. Look at verses uh, 7 through 11. Now, there's going to be a list of the gifts here, but his emphasis isn't actually on the gifts. There's a list of gifts here, a list of spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4, in Romans 12, Paul writes, and the lists are a little bit different. I don't believe that spiritual gifts lists in the Scriptures are all the spiritual gifts that there are. I believe that because he doesn't give the exact same one to the different churches, he's saying these are things that have already shown up in your church where the Spirit of God birthed a gift in someone at redemption, And and they are important. We will be dealing with those. But in this passage, he's trying to say, notice he'll say to each one this, to another this. He's trying to say we all get these individual things, but his emphasis is gonna be it's all about our unity in the spirit and for the good, the common good of building up the body. Let's read this, verses seven through 11. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good, for the building up of the body. To one there is given Through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now some people will say, I would like you to just to go into those sign gifts, those supernatural gifts, uh, those serving gifts, and I want you to go into a deep explanation, and, and there'll be a space for that. But what Paul was trying to say to them is get your minds off of who has what gift and jealousy and arrogance and division within the body and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work through you and be blessed by the gifting other people have and let's build up the body together. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. He says you're arguing over these individual gifts, and they're important, but most important is they all come from the same spirit, and it is the spirit of God who works in and through us, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I've always wished I had the gift, and I think even music can be a spiritual gift I've seen people who didn't have it from natural ability, but seemingly God blessed them and wow, they can sing. I don't have that gift. (laughs) You don't want me to sing a solo. But I thank God for those who have the gift. And who determined that I didn't get that kind of gift? The Spirit. Who determined someone else got it? The Spirit. For what purpose? For the building up of the body. For my edification, for your edification, so we could be strengthened in the Lord. We could be strengthened in him. I think there are two attitudes here that are found in verses 7 through 11 when you, when you read them. They're really clear in verse 7 and verse 11, particularly. Number one is humility. Humility. These last few years, there's been so much pride and arrogance, shouting and screaming, comments and counter comments, and political arguments, and debates. My heart has ached. I, I think in the last three years, I have prayed with more brokenness in relationships and marriages and families, and in the church, in those three years, then maybe the 25 years before that in terms of the brokenness over all kinds of things that the Spirit of God would say, hey, just build up the body, pour into each other. We need humility in how we have been gifted and how we serve. I love teaching. I find great fulfillment in opening the Word of God and explaining it to people. And it is a gift that God has given me. But I I know it is totally from him. It is his gift, not mine. It's for his glory, not mine. It's for your good, not mine. And there is great fulfillment that God gives us when we exercise the gifts he's given us. But there should be humility around these gifts. That's why he keeps saying, if you go back and read those verses again, to this one this, to this other one this, to another this, but the same spirit for the building up of the common good, the building up of the body. We have so many people walking around wounded who've been offended or hurt by a relative, a friend, by someone in the church. They've been offended by their boss, the business, the school, the church, and they're carrying bitterness and frustration. Many times it's because that thing became the ultimate thing or that person became the ultimate thing and and couldn't fulfill what only God could fulfill in their lives and so there is this bitterness and I believe there are people in this room who are part of the walking wounded. You're carrying bitterness. And you say, but I gotta talk to someone because they hurt me. You go and you talk to them, but you go saying, maybe I'm part of this. You go with a contrite spirit and say, maybe I said something, maybe I did something, but let's find, let's find common ground together in humility because we share the same spirit. But I see people just walking forward thinking, okay, we're all better now. And they're curing with them this yuck of this bitterness and resentment. And you know, when you drink, when bitterness and resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's affecting you. And yet there is so much freedom in the Holy Spirit when we are connected to the pneuma that moves us. But it takes a spirit of humility to invite him in and invite him to work in your relationships, even the most broken, fractured, harsh relationships. We want to draw lines about, I want this, I want that. We ought to come with open hands in humility. Maybe you need to, in humility, ask God to help you to speak to someone, talk to someone at work, at the church, in your neighborhood, in your family. Maybe you need some help with that. We're ready to help. You can't build up the body until humility and restoration comes about. And then there's harmony in these verses, seven through 11. It's this one, this one, this one, this one, that one, this one, all these different. We focus on all the gifts and what they mean and what they don't mean and what are they for, what are they not for, and those are important things. But the most important thing in the context of this passage is we all have these different things, but when we are being moved by the Spirit, a great work of God is done in harmony. This is harmony, and who has gifted us? It's God, and why he uses us for his glory and for the building up of the body so that more people can come to Jesus. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And if you read the context even there, it's the spirit that allows us to build up the body together. We had an elder meeting this week. We have a monthly elder meeting. One of the elders shares a devotional each time. This week, one of the elders wrote a beautiful devotional and toward the end as he was concluding it, I just started realizing that's the message this weekend, that's the message this weekend. So I said right in the meeting, hey, can I get a copy of that because I wanna read some of that devotional for our body from one of our elders. Uh, This is what, he was talking about the division, the strife, the broken relationships over whatever it is in the last three or four years. And this is what he said as he was bringing that to a conclusion. How strange that my biggest challenge seems to be to love those who are part of the body of Christ how will we attract others to the Savior when our fighting amongst ourselves just like those engaged in any other human enterprise takes place? 1 Peter 4:8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Sorry about that, just ran into the podium, stabbed me in the side there. He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then this elder writes next to those words of Jesus, ouch. As elders, he says, we often look to Paul's letters to Timothy for leadership. My own witness and now challenge are expressed in 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish." And stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. He continues to write. How can I possibly gently instruct, let alone seek unity with those with whom I so strongly want to have stupid arguments? Here's the answer. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This elder then writes, if I really believe that my goal is to make Jesus known so that others can come to the Father through him, my only hope is the spirit that the Lord has given each of us to love love all of the Father's children in a way that draws all of the world to his Son. Now, I love this couple of sentences he concludes with. Only by the Holy Spirit can I, like the Ethiopian eunuch, understand Scripture. Only by the Holy Spirit can I change the parts of me that need so desperately to change so that I can truly love. Only by the Holy Spirit can Calvary 2030 come to fruition. We all need the insight of the Holy Spirit to evaluate our love for God's Word so that through the Son we can know the Father. Only by the Holy Spirit will we escalate our Christ-like compassion so that we can do the work of the Son and point the world to the Father. Only by a work of the Holy Spirit will we calm back and inspire and empower our next generation. Then he says, come, Holy Spirit, come. Help us to understand the Word. Help us to truly move to live and love like the Son so that all may see the Father by the Spirit through the Son, let me ask you, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do in and through you what only he can do in and through you to truly make Jesus Lord of your life, to have the preeminent place, to lift up Jesus, to minister to others because of the same God, to build up the body with humility and seeking harmony with one another rather than division and strife and holding it over people? Can I encourage you this week just to, once a day, sit with your hands out to the Lord. Whatever he's been speaking to you about, just say, come Holy Spirit. I know you're with me, but I'm asking you to come and do a work in me. I want to reconnect to the pneuma that can move me way beyond any way I can be moved. To use me way beyond any way I can be used. Just with your hands open. And then see where God takes you. See what God says about the idols in your life, about humility and harmony and and how you need to change and adjust your life, your relationships, your behavior, your attitude to be a part of what the Spirit of God is doing and wants to do in and through you and in and through us as a church. Why is this so important? This unity that we have because of a relationship with the God who is in us because we are left here in a rescue mission to bring hope to a hopeless world, to bring love to a loveless world, to bring Jesus to people who need Jesus. In 2018, a man climbed out on a freeway bridge just outside of Detroit. He was gonna jump and threatening and police came. They closed down the highway in both directions. They put out a call and one trucker heard the call and then he called other truckers and they said, we gotta get to this bridge. Because if the man, his plan was to jump in front of an on-moving tractor-trailer, jump the 30 feet or whatever, and be just smashed by a tractor-trailer stopping the traffic, to help that. But now he had a long way to jump. He still, if he didn't kill himself, was going to dramatically hurt himself. And so they put out this call, and over the Cbs they called for more truckers. And 13 trucks arrived, and they became the rescue for this man. They made it possible that he really couldn't hurt himself. Look what they did, with the permission of the authorities. He could only go five or six feet if he jumped. Their tractor trailers would rescue him. The body of Christ united together, moved by the Holy Spirit, not idle like this, but plugged into the source of the pneuma, the body of Christ is on a mission to rescue people for Jesus and rescue them from the darkness and brokenness of their lives. This is vital stuff. That we are one body, united by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, engaging our world through the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, maybe you have convicted individual people in specific ways, maybe in areas that I didn't think you would work. You work far beyond what we can ever think or imagine. I pray for those folks who Feel the Spirit whispering to them. Maybe it's time to engage again, get involved in ministry again. Maybe it's time to go speak to someone. Maybe it's time to speak to someone, but not just with a finger pointed, but with a humble heart. Seeking harmony in the body because it's through that harmony that the world who so desperately needs Jesus sees Jesus. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room with whom I have unity because of the Spirit of God in us. Bind us together together shape us, mold us, and use us as individuals, then bring us and bind us together to make a difference in this community, in our state, our nation, our world. We are on that rescue mission, and we could do far more united together than we could ever do on our own. We can do far more when we're tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit, even by just saying, come Holy Spirit into my life. Shape me, mold me. Show me what I need to change. I believe the Holy Spirit will do a much better job in the area of conviction and practical application to this message. Lord, I pray that people will be open and honest this week. In Jesus' name, amen.